calling all freaks, weirdos, outcasts, ghouls, and lonely souls. Music's Metaphor is chillingly pleased to bring you the Lonely Souls Virtual Festival on Saturday, October 23rd at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join us for the first annual Mental Health Halloween Music Festival. The spectacular event will feature independent artists from the USA and beyond. For Depression Awareness Month, we hope to encourage and empower people who might be feeling afraid, anxious, depressed, or alone this fall. Special VIP $5 tickets will give a Halloween bag for a child in need in Orange County, California. No tricks, just treats. Get your tickets at musicsmetaphor.com. Stacey Lane Wilson, Shane Bitterling, and Mark Wheaton. Uh, they came on the show to talk about Stacey's new book series, Rock and Roll Nightmares, as well as some of the other works within the horror genre that they've worked on. Uh, this was a, a lot of fun to, to do, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, but before we get into the episode, uh, I just want to mention closing up on uh, year two of doing the Root Horror Podcast, so shortly after this episode, I will be doing a uh, bonus episode regarding the second year anniversary, uh, so it should be a lot of fun to kind of talk about uh, the <laughs> things that have happened on the show over the past year and uh, what's expected into year three. Um, I, I will mention uh, Halloween Palooza happened last week as of recording this episode. Uh, it's just a lot of fun to attend, and I will probably talk about that on the bonus episode. I don't want to put it on this one, but I just want to mention that it's amazing, and I'll probably talk more about my experiences on the next bonus episode. And, uh, but yeah, I. Uh, don't want to ramble on too much because this is a great episode uh, talking to some authors within the horror genre. So uh, let's get into the conversation with Stacy, Mark, and Shane. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Rude Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Rude. And joining me on the show today is author Stacey Lane Wilson. Uh, she's also a director. She's directed films like Fetish Factory, The Ventures Stars on Guitars, The Second Age of Aquarius, and producer of the anthology horror film She Venge. She's an author of 20 books, including uh, City of Devils in her best-selling memoir, So L.A. Uh, she's also a former reporter at Sci-Fi.com, Horror.com, Fangoria, Dread Central, and many more. And uh, she also runs a website called WomenInHorror.com. Also joining us are authors and horror screenwriters, Shane Bitterling, who's screenwritten for films such as Puppet Master 10, Ouija's Halloween Night, and he has a new book called The Year Without Halloween. And also joining us, Mark Wheaton, who's screenwritten for films such as The Messengers and Friday the 13th, uh, 2009, uh, which both have written stories for Stacy's Rock and Roll Nightmares book series. Uh, welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks hey. for having me. Hello. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys for, for coming on here to uh, uh, talk about some horror novels, and uh, which is something that doesn't really get talked on here a whole lot. I did previously have an author on here, but it's just kind of kind of a, a cool time for me because I usually don't have authors on here. And then all of a sudden now I get an abundance of them. So it should be a lot of fun to, uh, to hear what you guys have to say. Well, thanks. We're excited about uh, being able to share rock and roll nightmares with your audience. Right on, right on. So, yeah, it's nice to be here because usually nobody cares about the writer. So <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> well, everybody has has a role in, in these sort of things, even like with uh, films. And, you know, obviously uh, stories can be important in horror movies, not just uh, blood and gore and and uh, body parts flying. You know, sometimes a good story does uh, uh, need to, to happen in these horror films. So. It'd be good to uh, to hear uh, on the writer's side of things rather than uh, everybody else's opinions about <laughs> the films. Yeah, I mean, even then, a writer has to put that in the action. You know, arm flies through air, streaming blood. <laughs> so, you know, you can't really make a movie without a script, unless you're Andy Warhol, I guess. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, so uh, maybe before we get into the the movie side of things, uh, let's talk about your new rock and roll nightmare book series, Stacy. Like, can you tell us uh, how that came to be, and maybe the premise of the book series, and then uh, how Mark and Shane got involved with the book series? Sure. Um, so I personally love rock music, and I love horror, and I love dark comedy. So being able to combine all three elements of that into a series of books is something I've been thinking about for a while. And actually I was going to do all three volumes myself and then that got to be a little daunting. And also I just thought it would be a lot more fun to have other voices you know, in the stories and kind of build off of these crazy titles like uh, Dead Over Heels or 
don't stand so close to meat and, uh, and uh, daydream be reaver and stuff like that. So we just had a lot of fun starting with the title as jumping off point. And each of the books uh, covers a certain decade in rock music. So we have the 60s version, which is called Along Comes Scary. And then we have the 70s version, which is Do You Fear Like We Do, which is a takeoff on the Peter Frampton album, of course, Do You Feel Like We Do. And then um, the 80s version is called Gory Days. So that's uh, basically the premise in a nutshell. And we have about 10 or 11 stories in each volume. And those are in paperback, Kindle, and they're just coming out on audiobook as well. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I, I do want to mention, uh, you know, I, I do respect uh, writers and, uh, and whatnot, but I'm more of like an audiobook kind of guy. So uh, there you just, go. Yeah, you've got yeah. Uh, everyone's covered, basically. However you like to consume your media, we've got you. All right. Yeah, that's good to hear that uh, your book series is going to be on uh, audiobooks. So I'll definitely have to check those out. Oh, please do. Uh, so uh, Shane and Mark, uh, were you approached by Stacy or did you uh, just kind of uh, voluntarily uh, involve yourself into writing the stories or, you know, how did, how did this whole thing come about to where you uh, started writing uh, for Stacy's book series? Well, I got a, this is Shane. I got a, uh, a message from Stacy asking me, um, if I would be interested and she kind of gave me the rundown of the, what she was doing and, um, time was very short on it. So, uh, I said this before and I don't know if it's even true or not, but I feel like somebody dropped out at the last minute and she asked me, uh, to kind of pick that up because she knows I write kind of fast and, um, but I just, I thought it sounded so fun and, and I've, known Stacy for quite a while. So I know kind of what I'm getting into when she puts her name on it, you know, and it's going to be really good and uh, fun. And I love the rock and roll aspect of it. And I always kind of associate Stacy with rock and roll and, and horror and everything anyway. So yeah, I just thought it was a, a blast and um, had a title kind of immediately in my head and just kind of, banged it out as fast as I could to hit her deadline and uh, and really had really had fun doing it. Awesome. Uh, Go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, um, I was a fan of Stacy's. She has a vampire series called Immortal Confessions. I was a fan of that. So I've been reading hers and she uh, sent a list. I think I had the opposite of Shane. I might've been early because she sent over a list of titles and they were hilarious. And I got my pick. There was just so many of them for each of the anthologies. And it was just, it was an embarrassment of riches. And it's actually really fun to try to be like, there could be a great story in this, there could be a great story in that. And it just, so I think I had the opposite. I was a, I was a fan, but then I also got the pick of the litter and jumped into the 80s one so yeah and mark's mark's title uh dead over heels it's uh either a go-go song which i know mark identified with with his all-girl band in the story 
or a Tears for Fear song. So you can kind of look at it either way in the 80s there. But yeah, um, that's correct. Actually, Mark was one of the first people on board and Shane was one of the last. But, you know, I don't want to say last, last but not least, for sure, because um, it's funny because I, I thought Shane was too busy because he was posting about things he was working on. And I thought, oh, well, I just won't ask Shane. And then at the last minute, I thought, you know what? Why not? And he, he came through. So it was awesome. There's always time for Stacy. <laughs> okay, Shane. I try not to step on too many toes, but um, yeah, I know like, <laughs> but um, so yeah, it, it was terrific. I think they both came up with some really cool different premises that I wouldn't have come up with on my own, which is why I think it's actually better that I have several contributors to each book rather than just me taking on the whole thing. Right. Yeah. That's a great concept. And uh you know, for me, I, I love a good anthology, whether it be movies or stories. Um, so it's really cool that, uh, you know, Stacy, you've worked on, or I mean, you know, you've written uh, stories within these anthologies, but then you bring in all these other great uh, horror th thriller writers to write under uh, your, your rock and roll anthology. Um, that's got to be a cool experience just to you know reach out to other artists and just you know be able to collaborate with uh, other writers it really is I do love the collaboration whether it's on the printed page or on film I've also participated in some horror film anthologies and it's really fun to see what different people bring to the same table basically mm -hmm. uh, so you know speaking of like the horror anthology films uh you had produced uh, she venge um is that something maybe you want to talk about or uh did you want to just kind of focus on the the uh author side of things uh oh we can i can just tell you a little bit about that one it um yes it is an anthology of horror shorts all directed by women and it was a charity project um for the times up legal defense fund so the money that we made on that limited edition dvd all went to charity and it was really a cool way to bring voices together uh in the horror world for the greater good nice uh shane uh yeah could you tell us about uh your newest uh book that you have yeah, uh, I have. It's a it's a true children's book, and I I say true because people know my my work either in fiction or the films that I've written. Uh, they're all very rated R, and they and when I said I did a children's book, they kind of expect it to be some uh, you know naughty parody of a children's book. But it's a true children's book for actual kids uh, <laughs> called The Year Without Halloween. And um, published uh, myself just because I was, I, I started it last year and uh, missed Halloween due to some uh, circumstances beyond my control. And uh, so I'm really kind of pushing it now, but it's, it's a story about uh, a little boy whose Halloween is basically canceled, if that sounds somewhat familiar nowadays and kind of how to make the best of that, how to make uh, lemonade from those lemons that are handed to you and kind of keeping the spirit in your heart 
and all of that. And uh, I've gotten a lot of really good response from it and I'm uh, pretty proud of it. And the art is beyond fantastic by uh, an artist named Waleed Shaw or Achi. And he um, uh, really came through to me kind of uh, for me at the 11th hour because I was ready to just toss the whole thing in the garbage. And he kind of dropped into my lap and saved the day. And it's very kind of, uh, you know, I wanted it to be like a, a children's book that I grew up with and uh, visually and with the, the little couplets and everything. And he really kind of hit that mid-century modern look in, of illustration and everything that I was looking for. So I'm, I'm really, really happy with it. Very cool. Yeah. I, I have a little three-year-old running around and she loves like the Halloween time, you know, going trick-or-treating and she's already got her outfit and everything picked out. But, uh, you know, when, when I heard that you're going to, you know, come on the show and you have this new children's book, I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to pick that up. So, uh, it sounds like I'll definitely have to yeah. pick it up for my little one. I hope you do. <laughs> now I've been getting a lot of really great comments, uh, from, from parents via their kids and everything, but the, the, what's really, really, I'm just loving is I'm getting all of these private messages from these big, burly, tattooed, bearded, you know, rad dads saying, Oh, I was reading this to my son or my daughter. And I just, I just broke down crying. I was just bawling as I was going through this thing. It's so sweet. And I didn't expect that. And I was like, I'm just, I'm loving those comments because it's just not at all what I expected. Wow. So it's uh, <laughs> for the kid and kid at heart. Well, that's, that's what's up. I'll, I'll definitely have to pick it up and I'll let you know if I shed a tear or two. Yeah. Doesn't <laughs> count without pictures. Okay. <laughs> all right. You got a deal, buddy. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I know uh, Mark Wheaton here has uh, uh, worked on some of his, uh, his own books besides uh, working on Stacy's. Uh, could you tell us about may maybe uh, the newest book that you've uh, written, Mark? Uh, sure. I've had a bunch of... Um... Over the last year, the, one of the publishers I was working with um, kind of got gobbled up. So I uh, had a book called Quake Cities from Severn House that kind of got pushed almost a year. And so I started submitting short stories to a whole bunch of horror anthologies. And it's been so rewarding, not just getting to write to all these different prompts but also working with a lot of different editors who, I mean, working with different editors is, you never know who's gonna come at your writing in a different way. And so it's um, at a, like a story about a dog, a sled dog, like fighting monsters. It was in one and the, uh, the editor kind of came at me and was like, well, you should try this, you should do this. And it was kind of this light edit, but then on this other kind of Lovecraft project out of South Africa, they were like, do you realize you overuse this and this and this and this and like all these kind of turns of phrase. And it was just the smallest story, but it's completely made me change how I edit. 
So it's one of those just, it's been this amazing process of trying to be a better writer, I guess. So I've just been working in a number of little horror anthologies and one came out three weeks ago that was uh, Violent Vixens, which was a grindhouse thing. And I did a thing about a veterinarian who kills a bunch of people in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Got one coming out in a few weeks uh, about a creature that eats the sun. Um, it's just been fun to really uh, play with an, in a number of different sandboxes because in novels, you're just sitting there for two years going over it, doing a second draft, doing a third draft, doing a fourth, hearing back from an agent, hearing back from an editor. And so you're in such tunnel vision. So what I've been doing lately in horror is just, it's been so much faster and it's been so much more, you hear back from readers so much faster and it's been really uh, fantastic. I, I would only ever hear from readers like once every two years. And now it's like, oh, you know, every couple of months there's a read-along of this story or there's somebody saying, wow, I thought Mark's last story was the worst thing I ever read. This, shockingly worse than that. And you're like, yeah, great, <laughs> awesome. So it just, it's, it's great to have that kind of interaction now um, with horror anthologies. And so, again, I jumped at the chance to work uh, with Stacy, who's writing I Read Myself. And it just was a chance to do something, especially set in the 80s, that was just not like anything else I was doing and work with a new editor and work with somebody whose writing I really liked. And I thought her writing is very crisp. If you ever um, read the vampire novels or read some of her short stories here, um, she changes her style. I hope she doesn't mind me talking about her writing while she's sitting right there, but it just, <laughs> It, it's interesting to work with a variety of different people, but it's also interesting to work with editors who are writers. So it's, yeah. it's been. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so like with uh, Stacy's newer book series, uh, you know, like the, uh, I guess like the horror, not really niche, but like just kind of like that subgenre of, uh, of like rock and roll horror. Uh, I mean, we do tend to see it from time to time in, in film and whatnot, but like not every day do you hear uh, that, you know, there's just going to be a whole bunch of short stories uh, based on the idea of like, uh, you know, horror intertwined with uh, musicians and, uh, you know, possibly the, like the music itself. Uh, you know, I haven't, written or i mean i haven't uh read or listened to uh the book series so i mean i could be completely wrong but uh you know i just I'm, what i'm trying to get at is like not every day do you hear about uh you know uh musician uh horror uh, stories so uh what was like the whole premise uh behind like you know, wanting to write about uh, this particular type of horror subgenre. Like, I know, like, your dad is a musician. Uh, did that play a part in it, or was it just kind of something more to uh, wanting to write uh, about this particular horror subgenre? Well, my dad's group is The Ventures, which is a surf rock band, 
And um, so they're not exactly Alice Cooper, Ozzy Osbourne. You know, there's really not a lot of horror in uh, the Ventures music, <laughs> although they did cover the Twilight Zone theme. <laughs> but, uh, nice. you know, so that's not really, I wouldn't say, an influence. But of course, you know, music is in my blood that way. I'm not actually a musician. I can just barely play the radio, but I love it. I appreciate it. And so, you know, like you said, there are not a lot of books in this subgenre. And as a reader, I guess I kind of felt like I was missing out. Like, I really want to read more stories like this. So that I thought, you know, there's kind of a gap there in the marketplace. So I wanted to fill it. And uh, so we did with three books. And then um, the next couple of books, uh, I'm working on a nonfiction version. So we'll have real rock and roll nightmares covering Charles Manson and Kurt Cobain and um, you know, it's just kind of the flame outs and ODs and suicides and shootouts uh, that are rock and roll adjacent. And then there's uh, also a movie nonfiction version book in the works. So I'll cover all the rock and roll horror films, too. Nice. Nice. And like uh, one thing I noticed, because I did listen to uh, City of Devils. Uh, yes. A, a book, uh, another horror anthology that uh, you wrote. And, uh, you know, it, it was a really good horror anthology. Um, what what I kind of liked about it was every now and then you would actually put in like real uh, facts about like, you know, poss- like Kurt Cobain and like other uh, uh, famous uh, cases of like maybe behind the scenes stuff that maybe not everybody knows about. And uh, I, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, is that kind of like a reoccurring theme throughout this book series? Like, do you throw in random facts of, uh, you know, real life uh, things that, you know, the average yeah, person absolutely. maybe, um, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the, uh, you know, most of the bands are fictional, but there is realistic context in terms of the world building. So you really feel like it could happen. So I think that adds you know, it lends a certain gravitas to any story when you can kind of incorporate everyday things in it that we know. um, And then we can kind of lose ourselves in another world. Um, But yeah, I, uh, I I think that's important. That's something that I like to do as a writer. And that particular uh, book, City of Devils, was more of like a Hollywood story. So all different kinds of archetypes in Hollywood that you might meet like from the surfer to the you know wannabe academy award winner to the roommate from hell so you know anyone who's lived in LA or any big city I think can relate to the stories in there too and to me yeah relatability is important right right um you know I I will say uh I really enjoyed the uh depraved indifference part one and two and then uh the doom for rent story in the uh city of devils book Oh, thanks. Yeah. Doom for Rent was actually based, kind of loosely based on um, a nonfiction article I read. I'm trying to think of where I saw it. Maybe it was um, not Esquire, but some, you know, a a site like that where this man was actually like a a true roommate from hell. He would just go in and take over. And and it was pretty scary what the things that he did. And it kind of makes you think twice when, you know, you have your roommate out on Craigslist, like just who might be answering and uh, <laughs> people you definitely would rather meet between the pages of a book than in real life. Right. Right. 
for sure. Yeah, I, I'm glad I'm never. Uh, you know, I say this now, but I'm glad I'm not in a situation where I have to uh, put a an ad out wanting a roommate because something like that could happen, and that just sounded like that would be such a big headache uh, having to deal with, uh, you know, someone like that that, you know, is a complete stranger. Well, then, that's uh, LA life. You know, Marcus, uh, most people can't afford to live in L.A. unless they have five or six roommates. You know, it's pretty crazy out there. Wow. Yeah, I I live in the, in the Midwest. So, I mean, it's it's like a whole other world over here, I guess, compared. Yeah, to I LA. bet. Now, I think I, you might like to know that the narrator of um, of that uh, of that book also uh, co-narrated the Rock and Roll Nightmares 70s edition. So um, Graydon Schlichter, he has a great voice. And uh, so I'm pleased to be working with him also on the Immortal Confession series, along with his partner, Leanne Rowe. So um, it's really great for me to be able to work with people again and again, whose talents I appreciate. And I'm so grateful that they keep following me down this crazy road. <laughs> Right on. Uh, is uh, there going to be like other uh, narrators within the for like the audio books or is he going to kind of uh, do most of the uh, audio book recordings? Um, the audio book for the 60s version is out now and Jennifer Knighton reads that one. And then Andy Garrison reads the 1980s version. And that one should be out within the next couple of days. So I did work with three different sets of narrators for the three different books because I wanted to make sure that I could get the audiobooks all out fairly simultaneously. And if I was just working with one narrator, it would have to be, you know, it would take a lot longer. Right, right. Well, very cool. Yeah, like, like I said, I'm going to have to uh, uh, pick up those audiobooks because I did enjoy City of Devils and uh, I am interested to hear about... Uh, some rock and roll nightmares yeah sounds like a good a good time <laughs> so uh mark uh you know uh you've been credited uh as being like a writer for friday the 13th from 2009 uh could you maybe tell us about uh, uh the story behind uh that film and how you got uh put on to uh you know work on the film and do you have like any st- behind the scenes stories that maybe you'd like to tell us? Yeah, sure. Um, it's the most corporate thing ever, which can be kind of interesting. Um, but that's, that's what I got. Um, I'd finished messengers and, uh, for Sony and was working on, uh, boogeyman two for ghost house, which, uh, went away and then they did a, a video sequel, and they put out a an all call, an open writing assignment for a new Friday the 13th um, at New Line. And they had no idea what they wanted to do. They just needed a, a, a follow-up to uh, Freddy versus Jason. And I know they saw a bunch of writers. The exec was Kale Boyder. And if this gets way too granular, I'll just stop. But they just had a bunch of pitches. And my pitch was to replace part five. Uh, I just came in and said, Jason already exists. He's kind of this urban legend. You kind of redo the opening. 
um, so that he sees his mother's death. He's like a survivalist, but he's not supernatural. I love Friday the 13th, but they really, after Roy was Jason in five and after in six, Jason was kind of a mummy. I mean, he was supernatural and he's kind of the zombie character. I was like, oh, just bring it back to Camp Crystal Lake, make it counselors and make it a non-supernatural Jason. And they they hired me out of the group and I started working on it. And then Platinum Dunes got involved uh, soon thereafter because they'd been doing the Chainsaw movies with New Line and um, they wanted to start over. So I had to repitch uh, Brad and Andrew and, Bay, and Michael uh, Bay and they didn't want to do a part five. They wanted to remake the original. And that was, there was a bit of a scream moment where it was kind of like, everybody kind of watched it over a weekend and we're like, wait, Jason's not in part one. And I'm like, have you seen scream? And we decided to, I pitched them a remake of one, two, and three. Uh, the first act would kind of be one, Jason, like Jason's mom's killed around like 20 minutes in. Uh, then Jason's in the bag for the second act, and then he gets the mask in the third act. So it was kind of elements of one, two, and three. Bay went for that. We started writing it. They were working on that. They were finishing Chainsaw Origins, or the beginning, whichever one they called it. And they were working on the Birds remake, which didn't go. The Clooney was on. And Leavesman, Jonathan Leavesman was down the hall editing Chainsaw. They were also gearing up for Transformers. Um, and I'd known Liebsman before. He was working on a movie with me at Revolution Studios. And he came in to pitch also to come on board Friday the 13th. And we just started going around and around. And it got closer and closer to this kind of pseudo remake of one, two, and three. And then New Line and Paramount got into it over the rights. And they stopped development on it uh, for over a year. And they paid me out. They put John Jonathan went off to another movie. And then when they made it, they made the um, uh, Shannon Swift one that actually got made. They used weird elements from my pitch in it. So I ended up getting credit, even though I didn't write a single character in it. I didn't write a single line of dialogue. I didn't, there was like virtually nothing in the movie is what I did. It's just some of the big overarching whatever the producers then used uh, when they started hearing new pitches, like a year later, they were like, okay, this is kind of the framework of what it is. And Shannon Swift got the job and they actually wrote what you see on screen in the reboot quill or whatever they called it. Mm -hmm. So I have this tiny little footnote of Friday the 13th, but I can't, I wasn't on set. I wasn't, I, I went to the premiere, but, and it was fun. I was sitting in front of uh, Wes Craven and he actually joked that he was scared by it. And that was fun. But I like hung out, Stacey, you know, I, I hung out the whole night with Ferrante. Who, uh, That's right. <laughs> he went on yeah. to direct Sharknado, but we were just old Fangoria reporters hanging out at a Friday the 13th premiere. Right. So. And actually, uh, yeah. And actually I was on set. You weren't on set, but I was. <laughs> yeah. I was long gone by the time uh they made the movie i was i was basically on it for five seconds and they i was kind of surprised when uh they were like uh we use this stuff and uh it was the wga the wga was like yeah this is and i was like oh 
Okay, cool. Fun. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, now it's on your IMDb forever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I have a poster, so that's good. <laughs> there you go. Nice. So it's kind of like a an easy little payday in a way. You it was. <laughs> It was fun because you think about these series, you think about the franchises and what you do. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and say, hey, here's what I do. And like anybody who's ever written fan fiction ever. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And they were like, hey, your fan fiction take? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll buy it. And I was like, huzzah. So it's just... Sometimes if you're a if you're a horror screenwriter and you're coming up and it's you get that opportunity, sometimes you get that weird golden ticket to pitch on your favorite franchise. So we're gonna be right back talking about uh Puppet Master and more right after this quick break. Here is a word from the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. It feels now we're recording. I should ask you again. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, well, um, great answer. As a, as a fan of the franchise, that's what I'd want to know. That was interesting. So. Right. Yeah. I, I should have hit record earlier because I kind of wanted to, to know as well or, you know, have that maybe on the show, but that's fine. Um, shall, shall I repeat and uh, blabble yeah, on? No, <laughs> got into Puppet Master. Were you a fan of the franchise? Well, actually, yeah, I was a huge fan of the first uh, couple when they came out. They came at just that ripe time when uh, when I was a teenager. And, you know, when you go to the video store and um, you you had a new full moon movie every couple weeks or so. But but it was really the, the third one, which was uh, so great. And I just I think that's probably... I don't know. I, I arguably the greatest straight to home video movie ever made. Yeah. Just, um, you know, the actors they had, the, uh, you know, the directing, the sets, the everything they were shooting up at Universal and they were shooting all over. And, and the, the script by Courtney Joyner was just absolutely killer. I mean, that guy really knows his stuff. And uh, years later we i would call courtney one of my closest friends and we've known each other for 20 odd years but uh i i watched the rest of the series when it came out uh i really didn't know what the hell was going on i just kind of enjoyed them on whatever level but uh they were just so convoluted and weird but uh and eventually when i was asked to do uh 10 um, you know, my goal was really to 
try to, um, I mean, since it, it was kind of a, a, a retro puppet master thing anyway, it was kind of prequels. Uh, you could forget a lot of the continuity and everything, which, you know, they're always slaves to the continuity, but they're not. Yeah. Like they just don't really make sense. But uh, I wanted 10 to be the best one since three. And I got to play with uh, Six Shooter and a lot of the, 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 the favorite puppets and the fan favorites. But I didn't really take into consideration. I, I'm still really kind of a fan of the script. I thought the script was was quite good. And uh, I didn't take into consideration the the lack of budget and a lot of the, the talent and um, the uh, I mean, there's a lot of talented people that worked on it. But you, when you're under such tight conditions, it's hard to really pull off anything. Um, and we had a couple of really great actors in there, I thought. But uh, the, the real magic that was missing from, from most of those previous movies, I can't remember at what point they didn't have them anymore, but what, it was Dave Allen's uh, stop motion effects. I mean, they were just, he was really kind of a master of, of that type of thing and really kind of, the unseen face of full moon was his exceptional work. I mean, the, the, the stop motion and um, special effects for those, you know, small indie movies were as good as anything in big budget studio movies. And we just didn't have that because he'd passed away uh, some time ago. So, you know, it was just kind of lofty dreams and, sad realities but the movie has its moments it has some fun things but it just i don't know it's 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 not really the best one since three um you know just as you were kind of shooting pages were torn out or the ending was changed and you know it was just kind of something like hey how could we shoot this entire finale in one hour type thing and you know it just um it's there the puppets look cool i'm still very satisfied you know like i mean one of the most fun things about doing uh some of those full moon movies is it's like yeah you know you, you get something and you get it made but then a few months later you get all the toys mm-hmm. they're kind of associated with it and um so you know the the office has a lot of uh, characters that you, you know, kind of came from your mind and we were filtered through an artist's hands and, you know, they're here staring at me right now as I'm talking from the shelf. And, you know, that type of stuff is just, that's really great. You know, it's really kind of amazing. And I, I like the, uh, all the, the puppets I was able to bring back um, a couple of the new ones and, you know, and then all the, uh, the evil puppets, those were always a blast coming up with those and talking to the special effects artists and everything. But, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's a different world than what it was when part one, two and three came out. Right. Right. So like, uh, when you got brought in to do puppet master 10, uh, did Charlie band just kind of give you, uh, 
I guess like uh, kind of free range to kind of do what you want? Or did he kind of have like a specific idea of what he wanted for the way the story to go? So this is, this is a typical call from Charlie Van. It comes early in the morning, maybe, maybe about eight o'clock and you pick it up, dude, you ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. Charlie, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down. Yeah. Uh, Okay. You're doing uh, puppet master X. Make it awesome. All right, dude. Talk to you later. That's it. So that's on every, every phone call, dude. Okay. You're doing this thing called real evil. Uh, you're going to be doing it with uh, Danny Draven. Make it awesome. Later, dude, hang up. <laughs> and those are, those are the notes and those are the guidelines. Usually uh, you'll get another call later where he'll have some specific scene in mind and really you find out that the entire idea for the movie is just because he wants to shoot that one scene and so you uh write this very bizarre thing around that one even more bizarre idea and it's usually something extremely outrageous um but with the puppet master one uh, my friend Brian Muir, who wrote Critters, uh, one of the best friends I've ever had in my life, uh, had died uh, pretty young at, uh, with, uh, by cancer. And he'd been fighting it for many years and everything. But he had written the previous Puppet Master, uh, and that was the prequel. So it just, I mean, I knew... This one was really kind of a sequel to that. Um, didn't know if it was going to be a trilogy or not. I had ideas for the next one, but um, that didn't really happen. Uh, well, it didn't happen with me. There was some other thing, but it, I don't know. Trilogy wasn't really a trilogy, but um, I mean, I kind of knew that there was going to be some guidelines, but you know, when he announced that I was doing the movie, I immediately got a bunch of uh, messages from like serious, serious, hardcore Puppet Master fans. If you didn't do this, then you've already screwed up, you idiot. You know, if you didn't put this character in there, then you're an asshole. If you didn't do it, don't fuck this up. You know, it was just like these brutal brutal messages i'm like i hadn't even written the title yet you know and it was uh everybody had their own idea of what it needed to be what it was supposed to be and what it had to be and none of them were really what we were doing so i was just kind of like i guess i just set myself up to fail on that um and that but i think every one of those guys ended up you know kind of liking it or something but uh but yeah it's just weird you're and i just i i said i'm just i'm not gonna be a prisoner to uh like 10 movies of continuity that doesn't really make sense anyway 
Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to make my own story here. And I don't really care about those 25 years of other movies, you know, and the minutia and all this stuff. You know, uh, I mean, I had to kind of look to see what characters I could use, couldn't use, because some were introduced um, far after this movie took place and that sort of thing. But it was really kind of a weird, weird experiment or experience. Right, right. So, like, like as a fan perspective, like, you know, I know this has a cult following, like, you know, the Puppet Master has a cult following so you know those those diehard fans they (laughs) you have to please them right or at least try to please them yeah and you just and the thing is you can't you can't please everybody because you know i got 10 sets of rules from one and 20 contradicting rules from somebody else and you know i just i didn't listen to any of it really i mean i just wanted to make focus on um you know a good story and above everything else it had to be a good story and uh and i had my list of of characters oh charlie uh his one thing was there was a there was a puppet in the previous one that was called ninja or something like that and he said we are not having ninja back in this one he hated ninja and so that was really the the big note but uh, I don't know what you why you didn't have ninja in that thing, you idiot. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can't win with this stuff. Right, right. Yeah, it's you're not gonna be able to please everybody. Um, yeah. So like like for, for me, being a fan of the Puppet Master series, uh I you know, I don't I don't know if if you're attached to uh to writing anymore, but do you think like the series will ever kind of like trail off from like d- the main focus of like the Nazis. Like, do you think the story will ever trail off from, you know, maybe bringing up the Nazi story a, a little bit, but maybe, uh, you know, could you see that uh, the series is kind of like turned to maybe focus like on uh, maybe some like different matters or, you know, put them in like a. Yeah. I, that was, my that was i mean not with the one that i did but i really wanted to get away from that i think people are uh people are tired of that um they didn't necessarily cotton to a trilogy of prequels uh i wanted to see the puppets as evil and that's really that's what was written in the script you know because they were sort of the anti-hero thing in the in those uh the previous one and some of the other ones and the idea was they're that until the finale of the one that i did where uh basically they they get screwed and it makes turns them into back into the bad guys and i was hoping um you know for future entries they would be the rotten little nasty puppets, you know, mm-hmm. instead of really the anti-heroes saving the day and fighting Nazis. But I wanted to just kind of start the whole thing again, just start anew. Right. And John Lachago did uh, this, the spinoff uh, with Blade, 
and that was pretty cool. But again, that's you're still back kind of with the Nazis and that type of thing. And that's a lot of that's really Charlie not giving up on an idea. You know, yeah. he never really gives up on it or admits, yeah, we're going down the wrong road. You know, he'll see it through to the end and again and again and again and again and again. And again. <laughs> right. But I think just sort of a, I mean, they did that remake of Puppet Master reboot. Like uh, Sinistate did it. That, did yeah, uh, that was something else too. But, you know, I think just kind of a, I like the idea of the one-off thing they did for Blade, uh, but I just think it really just needs to be completely reinvented. I agree. Right now. Well, it has been for a long time, but. I agree. Yeah, there's like 10 or 11 of these films, and this kind of seems like, uh, you know, and not, not to say anything bad about you or, you know, at all, but like just saying like the franchise as a whole, just, you know, we're like 10 or 11 movies into it and it's just like we're still on the nazi train so to yeah speak. like well and that's you yeah. might beef with uh i haven't seen any of the newer star wars but yeah you know, i'm just like really after 40 years they're still trying to thwart death star plans like <laughs> they have nothing new and it's it's kind of it's the same thing with puppet master you know Put them up. Put them up in. Uh, put them in the city or do something. You know, just enough with the the tired old Nazi stuff. Yeah. I like the Nazi stuff, but they don't have enough money to to do any of that properly. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm just <clears throat> I'm just a horror fan, but uh, you know, I just I don't know. That's just we always got something to to uh, pick a bone with. I mean, I you know I love the yeah. Puppet Master series, but. I think maybe I'd, I just, I'd kind of like to see the pubs get put into like different scenarios besides fighting Nazis and right, whatnot. right, and I and that's that's where we're you know kind of the the thing that I mentioned. It's just always being kind of a slave to the continuity when the continuity doesn't really make sense anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, what can you do, right? Right. But like so, uh, Ouija's on the other hand, I really enjoyed that. I watched that recently, <laughs> and uh, I, I will say, like you know, I mean, Ghoulies was made back in the '80s, and you know that that's a a cult film as well, and kind of a cult series. But uh, I almost kind of enjoyed Ouija's a little bit more than Ghoulies. I just, I know hey! it's weird, but uh, you know, I just I loved the creature designs and. I thought they were really well made. Uh, you know, almost looked better than I mean the original Ghoulies, and uh, just you know, I, I really liked the concept of the story. Of like, yeah, you know, it was it was a lot of fun in that in that thing, uh, Charlie, dude. You're doing this. Danny's going to direct. All right, make it awesome. Yeah, it was that thing, and. What he wanted was uh, a spinoff of uh, the evil bong. And it was the ginger weed man. 
so it was supposed to be a ginger weed man movie and i hate evil bong i don't i'm not into ginger weed man you know i, I didn't want to do it i just i i really it was one of those things where i was just going to tell him no but he somehow foresees these things and he goes i already sent the check in the mail you should have it maybe even today uh, okay so I, I knew what I wanted to do. And I talked to Danny and I said, this is, this is what I'm doing. You know, I just want to make sure that you're on board. It's like no recurring characters, no this, no that, no that. And I, I knew that we were going to be shooting in Vegas at this hotel. And um, I said, basically, I want it to be Ouija's or uh, Ghoulies go to Vegas. I want this to be kind of an unofficial Ghoulies sequel. And um, Charlie really trusts Danny. He trusts myself. And he didn't really have a lot of input. He didn't really have, um, I mean, he just trusted us to go off and kind of do our thing and worked very closely with Tom Devlin, who was doing the, the creatures and the effects. And I kind of knew what the limitations of all the puppets were before from other movies you know they just really kind of glue them onto a counter and their arm wags a little bit like we can't have that we need actual carnage you know we need them to do stuff so right, right. um even down to their design was okay i want i want a scene where this happens and da, 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 and tom really kind of built the puppets to be able to do that type of stuff and we had the puppeteers on set and we had a lot of things going on and really made a huge difference in the title. I, I just, I didn't really want to be stuck with the weed element. I just, I just didn't think this was a uh, Charlie's making so many of these kind of stoner movies. And that's really what he thought he was getting. And it's not really what we delivered at all. Um, we did put it in the, the movie, but downplayed it so much. And we were kind of stuck with that unfortunate title of Halloween night, but did talk him into adding the Ouija's because we wanted it to be more like Ghoulies. And if there were further movies, um, he would use that, you know, Ouija's blah, 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 instead of the Halloween night. And they really just kind of get rid of the weed element entirely. But um, we, we had a, a very luxurious four days to make that movie. Oh, wow. And we had a second unit going, doing constant puppet stuff. Um, and I think the script was pretty fun. Uh, with the scavenger hunt element and, and all this stuff. And, you know, we really pulled off a lot, um, kind of an, 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 an Herculean amount in four days. But uh, the movie's short as it was supposed to be. It's only supposed to be like 45 minutes to an hour long. And that's about what it was anyway, because it's streaming. So it uh, didn't really have to be a feature length. But um, it's, I, I don't know how many people have seen it. Not probably not a lot. Uh, and I think that title is kind of a turnoff, but the people that have seen it have really, really, really liked it. And they, I, I have 
now people are kind of putting it on their yearly Halloween watch list. And uh, it's just, it, you know, it's just a fun, cool, quick little slice of goofiness. Right. And it's just really kind of, you know, it's out there. Yeah. It's, I, uh, for me, I think it's one of those films where, you know, if you get a group of buddies around and you want to have a couple drinks and some good laughs or something, you know, I think this movie is one of those movies that would fit into, uh, you know, engage an audience within your your buddies to, you know. Yeah, it's it's a really good kind of party movie or, you know, uh, Zoom watch movie. There were a lot of those last year with it. And, um, you know, a film threat, which was a, a magazine that I just absolutely loved. And now it's a website that I love. Um, you know, they picked up on it and they just, they loved that movie. They really championed it and they had their uh, annual award this awards and they gave it some awards and everything. You know, they it kind of won, it won the uh, WTF even is this movie <laughs> category, but it was, um, you know, and it's Stacey Wilson's favorite movie ever made. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yep, I got. It. It's right up there with uh, The Shining and The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. Heck yeah, yeah. It, it is a fun movie though. Like I, I got some good laughs, and you know, like I said, I did like the creature effects, and uh, yeah, I, I liked how, uh, at the, even like the ending credits kind of gave uh, uh, honor to John Buechler who, uh, you know, created the original Ghoulies. Uh, yeah, kind that of nice was, um, that was the thing that from the very start, when we were talking with Tom Devlin, I said, this movie has to feel like it's in the Beekler verse, you know, and John had just, just passed away um, before we started shooting. And like, I wanted, uh, of course, Tom Devlin's kind of a disciple of, of John Beekler. And, you know, we wanted it to just feel like an extension of something that he would do. So the character design, the monster designs were all kind of very influenced by his style and, and everything. And even Motor Breath, uh, that, that creature was supposed to kind of look like John. So Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was a, it was kind of a cool, cool little touch to the movie, but you know, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, respecting, uh, you know, so, someone like him that's actually done a lot for Full Moon and and in the horror genre yeah. in general. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Oh, so one thing just to kind of get everybody in the conversation. Um, you know, we are approaching uh, closer to like October, Halloween time. What is your go-to movie to watch during October or Halloween time? Uh, I can kick us off with that. Well, of course, The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing is a perennial favorite, but especially in the wintertime. I love that one. And then I have a new favorite I think is going to be watched every Halloween from now on. It uh, came out, I think, earlier this year. It's called Benny Loves You, and it's another haunted puppet a uh, dark comedy horror film that I truly enjoyed. It's it's a lot of fun. It's about uh, 
well, like I said, a killer puppet. So if you haven't seen Benny Loves You yet, that just might be your next Halloween watch. Yeah, I've been really wanting to see that. I haven't seen that yet. You'll love it. Yeah, um, I kind of switch it up every year. I try not to do themes or whatever, but I always, when I, when I put up the Halloween decorations, um, I always watch Halloween 3 on that night and um, the WNUF Halloween special, which I think is just the greatest. I think it's the greatest piece of art of any kind made in the past 20 years. It's the only thing that I watch, a uh, modern movie that I watch that's a perennial. But, um, you know, pe- beyond that, it's like people watch kind of, you know, New York Ripper or, or Maniac and all this stuff. And to me, that's not really Halloween stuff. I kind of go with the the monsters and the ghouls and the Vincent Prices. And to me, that stuff just feels Halloween and Carnival of Souls and, and all of that stuff. You know, Maniac and New York Ripper, that's more of like Easter or Valentine's Day stuff. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Mark, do you have a, a favorite movie that you that kind of you know gravitates you to uh, want to watch during October or Halloween time? Yeah, I mean, um, I re- it really isn't Halloween for me until I watch Silver Bullet on like AMC Monster Fest because they're always always got it. And my sister and I used to watch Silver Bullet when we were kids, and for whatever reason, because this sister tells the story, because it's about a brother and a sister, we we watch it every year. So it's it really is like some families have the Christmas thing. It is not. I'll watch a hundred movies, Halloween movies, but in Silver Bullet, I gotta watch once a year, and I gotta watch it at Halloween. And I gotta text my sister and be like, "Hey, hey Silver Bullet's on AMC." So I love Silver Bullet. So. Nice. Yeah, love it too. Right on. Yeah, well, uh, uh, maybe, maybe to kind of tie in, uh, you know, uh, Mark, you'd worked on uh, The Messengers, uh, which was before Friday the 13th, but uh, I watched that the other night and uh, I thought it was a really uh, well-made supernatural horror movie that uh, – you know, back when it came out, I had heard of it, but I never got around to watching it. But, uh, you know, I watched it the other night and I thought, man, this is how did I miss this one? Like, this one's actually pretty good for, uh, you know, just kind of like a, a supernatural. It To me, it was almost kind of like Amityville Horror meets uh, the farmhouse. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I thought it was pretty well, pretty well made. It was fun to work on. It was, um, I mean, there's two credited writers, me and Todd, but there was like 15 actual writers over the years and then different directors. And it was, a. there's a lot of people worked on it, but it's become one of those, like kind of, you hear about it, like somebody were like, oh yeah, we used to watch that, like a slumber party. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm old now. And you just hear that it was people's kind of first horror film because they liked uh, Stewart or for whatever reason. And when it came out, Stacy has a quote. There's only two quotes on the poster, one from Stacy and one from Variety. It didn't, it, it made 
money, like one is weekend or whatever, but it wasn't, it was certainly not beloved by critics, but over time I hear from people who watch it when they're like 10, 11, 12 or whatever. And they're like, Oh yeah, that thing scared the hell out of me. And I'm like, that makes me feel good for like the, the crew guys who are like pouring their heart and like all the mud that comes out of the walls and poor Kristen who was scared. Like the whole, I mean, she gives that movie her all. And it was, it's always good to hear that it eventually, you know, it found an audience. We had, you know, it was really fun to make. I just loved working with, I guess, Ramey and Tapper. I mean, they're extraordinarily fun people to make movies with. So. Right, yeah. Yeah. Sam Raimi's. Yeah, I recommend that one if people haven't seen The Messengers yet to check it out because, yeah, it's still, it, you know, it holds up and uh, the directors were really super talented, great guys. And then the, I don't know, I guess they went back to um, where were they from, Mark? Uh, they made movies. They were editors on like Infernal Affairs and stuff in Hong Kong, but they're, they have a right. whole film industry in thailand and they they made the eye and and bangkok dangerous in thailand and then they made remake of bangkok dangerous but they have a whole company and danny and oxide just make movie after movie after movie over there and commercials and all that so they're an industry unto themselves nice yeah i i would say like probably like one of my favorite uh scenes of the film was uh when Kristen Stewart's standing by the door and all you see is just the darkness behind her and the uh, the ghoulish, uh, deceased-looking arms just grab her yeah. and, and pull her in. I thought that was just brilliant. Yeah, they, they were really... I still have all their Danny and Oxides. They, they had, like, hand in meetings. They just sit there and they just scrawl notes on the script or whatever they had and they would draw scares and they would draw like the upside down spoon thing. They drew the arms, but they weren't, if you look at them, they're like little stick figure stuff, but they were like, here, just do something like this. And we, I'd go off and I'd start typing. I'd bring it back and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, this is good. Then turn it around like this and we'll shoot it like that. And it just was really, they're extraordinarily visual filmmakers and they just, I don't know, they just really like making hallway scares. They like scary children. They like, they, they just have a certain style they go for. And it was really fun to kind of, I don't know, spend a few months playing in their sandbox of ideas and just meeting with them every single day and being like, what about this? What about that? I don't know. It's, that's what I enjoy about screenwriting it's I guess it's fine to do it in the dark, but I really like working with directors. I love working with producers. I like working with people who are light years better at every single last thing than I could ever be because it's really inspiring, really fun. And the pangs were totally that. And they were a hoot to work with. So if they're listening to this, I hope they're doing well. Well, uh, Shane, Mark and Stacy, I, I wish we could keep, talking on and on about some stories i feel like maybe we haven't uh touched some topics but uh i really appreciate you guys coming on here and taking the time to talk about stacy's book series rock and roll nightmares and then you know as well as all the work that 
that you guys have done previously. So, you know, just a big thanks to you guys. Thank you so much for coming on here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, that concludes the episode with Stacy Lane Wilson, Mark Wheaton, and Shane Bitterling. Again, just want to say thank you guys for coming to the show. I had a lot of fun talking about uh, novels and awesome movies. So uh, it's kind of cool to uh, get to talk about uh, some books rather than just movies. So it's kind of a nice little change of pace. Um, but nonetheless, uh, thank you all for coming on the show. And if you're interested in uh, wanting to check out the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series, I will have links to uh, the physical book copies and then as well as the audiobook copy links in the show notes of the episode. And then I'll also have the uh, link for Shane Bitterling's kids book as well in the show notes. And then as well as uh, Mark Wheaton's latest novel, I'll have that in the show notes as well. So, uh, very fun episode. I encourage you all to check out some of their novels and of course check out uh, Ouija's this Halloween and even Friday the 13th, uh, 2009, and then as well as The Messengers. I think The Messengers is a good fall time movie to watch, so uh, we'll definitely check those out. Um, as far as what's next on the show, uh, I have Claire Fluff Llewellyn, who has played on The Exorcist TV show. She's also been in a uh, horror anthology called Hobo with a Trash Can. And she's also a poet, so you might even hear a little bit of her poetry in the next episode. So that should be a fun episode to talk to her and see what's going on with her. And uh, then I'll also have a Root Horror Radio uh, upcoming that I'll be talking to uh, Vishal Rai, who is the founder of the Extreme Underground Metal Society in Nepal. I'm going to have him on the show to talk about guessed it metal in nepal and also the horror genre so that should be a fun one and i'll also be featuring nepal metal musicians music on the show so uh that should be a great episode do not miss that one uh then after that uh things are kind of windling down a little bit so you might see some more uh, solo episodes where i'll be talking about specific movies uh, I know that'll be coming up in the later months, probably, you know, the winter months is usually kind of a good time for that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we'll see who comes on the show. I, I can almost guarantee you, once I say this, uh, I'll probably get a message from somebody about, hey, let's do an episode. So, uh, yeah, you never know. You never know with this show what's, what's going to happen next. Um, I do want to mention that uh, for the first time ever, I was a guest on someone else's podcast. Uh, I, I was on a Tad show called uh, First Time Podcast. And the show is primarily, uh, you guessed it, talking about something that either I or, I mean, the, you know, the guest has watched something for the first time or uh, both the host and the guest have watched for the first time. 
Uh, so we watched uh, VHS 94 for the first time, and uh, that was just a fun episode to do. I just want to thank Tad for uh, inviting me onto his show. That episode should be airing pretty soon, so I'll be posting that on my social media as well. And I encourage you all to check out that episode. And I also talk about the Root Horror Podcast and, you know, pretty much my journey as to so far what, you know, I've done and and whatnot. So it was a fun episode to do. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be able to do more guest episodes in the future. Uh, If you are a podcaster and are looking for guests, uh, hit me up. Uh, I don't know if I'm what everyone's looking for, but I mean, you know, when talking about the horror genre, um, I'm all about that. So, uh, anyways, uh, I think I've rambled on too much here. Um, if you want to find anything else related to Root Horror Podcast, you can go to linktree.com forward slash Root Horror Podcast. That's where you can find my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter the website youtube you name it just go to that address and as always i'll put uh, the link to that in the show notes of this episode and if you dig the show give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and also leave me a rating and uh you know you can be honest you know if the show is not your thing then i mean you know put that in there you know if you really dig the episode, you know, uh, definitely want to read everyone's feedback and, s- and see how I'm doing, I guess. So, uh, anyways, thank you all for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, there's there's more to come. We're heading to year three here very soon, and uh, should be a lot of fun. So, thank you all for listening, and stay tuned for the next one.